When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 307, and we are recording on November 17th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot, and this is our very special holiday show. Holiday! (laughs) Are you playing Mariah Carey? What's happening right now? (laughs) Yes! I had that queued up on my phone. (laughs) That's amazing. I was not prepared, but I support it. (laughs) No, I wanted, I wanted the like, what the hell are you doing, Jen face to really come through. (laughs) Success! Success. Victory is yours. (laughs) Bring me the finest muffins and bagels in all the land. Anyway, this is our holiday show. So all of the questions that we answer today will be holiday related and potentially next week because we probably got more. But well, no, next week is Thanksgiving. So the week after that because we will not be here next week. We will be off doing many tricky things. Mm. So how this show usually works and worked this week without the military <laughs> is that you send us your reading recommendation requests. So if you read a book you love and want something just like it, or you need something for a book club or for a gift or whatever, you can send all of those recommendation requests to us at getbooked at bookriot.com. There is also a form at the bottom of the show notes on the site if you would rather use that. Um, Before we get into feedback, just wanted to remind you about Adaptation Nation, which is our newest podcast about, well, adaptations across all nations. I don't know where that last (laughs) part really came from when we named the show. I don't know. The first episode is up. It is about Dune. It features Jen and I and Jeff, who is the co-host of the Book Riot podcast, talking about Dune for like an hour and 20 minutes. So if that's a thing that interests you, please go check that show out. The next episode will be Jeff and Vanessa, who is our managing editor, talking about Casino Royale and all things Bondy. Bondy, Bond, Bond. Okay, feedback. Let's see. These are both from Amanda, who has recommendations for Lindsay, who wanted public health and epidemiology books that were more engaging than her coursework. She has two novels for you, Year of Wonders by Geraldine Brooks, which takes place during the plague in 1666. Um, her book club read it in August of 2020. Woo! That probably felt super weird. <laughs> and then Doctors and Friends by Kimmery Martin, who is a former ER physician turned author. The pub date is November 9th, so that one just came out. She wrote it prior to COVID. It's about three friends in the medical field who all deal with life choices in a pandemic. Some of y'all are prescient. Let me tell you what. Like Some of these authors are on it. Okay, so I'm going to read our first question from Claire. We will hear from her first sponsor, and away we will go. Claire says, I'm looking for Christmas gifts and birthday gifts for my younger brother. His birthday is in January, and he is so hard to shop for. I love have, I love buying him books because we share a love of reading, but he has very different tastes than I do, so it's hard to pick things. He's 22 and loves all things fantasy, battles, science fiction, things like that. I love fantasy as well, but I love my fantasy very romance-heavy, and that's not his thing. Some books I know he's liked in the past include Ready Player One, The Mistborn series, Six of Crows, and Scythe. He's very into Star Wars, Marvel, and World War II history. I would love any recommendations you could give. All right, sponsor one. Today's episode is brought to you by Gallery Books. So Anna Green thought she was marrying Liam West for access to subsidized family housing while at UCLA, which is an interesting reason to marry someone, but you know, in this economy. So anyway, she signed divorce papers when the graduation caps were tossed and she thought she was done. At She wasn't. Three years later, Anna is a starving artist living paycheck to paycheck while West is a Stanford professor. Now, he is part of a conglomerate. His family owns this mega grocery store chain. He's not interested in working for them, but he is interested in those greenbacks, honey, that come in the form of a $100 million inheritance. To get it, he has to be married for five years. That's where our girl Anna comes back into play. So the two will fake a marriage, but as he gets to know her and gets to appreciate the feisty, foul mouth, paint splattered girl that she is, 
he'll begin to wonder if the money is worth the love of his life. Pick up The Paradise Problem by Christina Lauren to find out if it is. And thanks again to Gallery Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95 And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. Jen, what do you have for a 22-year-old fantasy reader? Yeah, so the first thought I had, honestly, was, like, does this person know about The Expanse? Because they should know about (laughs) The Expanse. Like, he probably... I'm not actually... I have a different pick, but if your brother does not already read The Expanse books by James S.A. Corey, like, immediately get a bunch of those into his life. But my pick that's, like, a little less obvious and probably not one that's on his radar is Son of the Storm by Suyi Davies Okumboa. And I read this this year. It came out this year, I'm pretty sure. And it's really good, juicy, morally gray fantasy that I think is very in line with his other interests. It is inspired by West African pre-colonial empires. And it is... How to like talk about this book? It's like it's not like I don't. I hate to compare everything to Game of Thrones, but it does have some like like I said. There's a lot of morally gray stuff in here, Mm -hmm. along with some really cool magic and scene setting. A lot of the action takes place in the city of Bassa. There are mostly two characters that we're following the closest: Danso, who is a scholar, who is a by ethnic person who like straddles two caste lines in this society, which is very influenced by colorism and class, among other things. And so he's kind of like an edge case. And he's also sort of a walking disaster. Like his braids are never right. His clothes are always messy. He's always like, like he's never where he's supposed to be. But he's extremely gifted. He has an eidetic memory. He can remember everything he's ever read. And so hence like the scholarly pursuits and whatnot. And he is engaged, betrothed, I don't know exactly the right word, to a young woman named Ashemi, whose mother is like a fantasy version of a political fixer. Like, think scandal, but like worse than scandal, which is saying something. Um, And that's what her mother does. And she is very much like correct and proper and very ambitious. And the two of them are sort of a weird pairing, but there's, you know, hashtag reasons why they are betrothed. And their relationship is very uneven and does not, there's not a lot of romance in this book, to be perfectly frank. They end up going on very different paths because there is a rebellion and an outsider sneaks into the city and is causing chaos. And there's all kinds of like forbidden magic coming into the fore and like who can use it and what does it mean for the empire and like who's going to gain power and who ends up lost in a weird jungle being attacked by beasties. Like there's all kinds of intense plot going on here. This is the first in a series. It does not end with a conclusion. So just FYI. But it is so immersive. There's so much great world building. And the magic system is fascinating. It's not like anything else I've read. And from the sound of it, he really likes to spend time in worlds that are not ours. And this is like very much that thing. And I will give some content warnings for pregnancy complications and body horror. Like things get 
pretty dark, just FYI. But yeah, I think I think you'll love it. It's really good, and I can't wait for the next book in the series. Again, that's Son of the Storm by Sui Davies Okumboa. All right. I picked The Space Between Worlds by Micaiah Johnson, which is about a woman named Kara who lives in a near-future version of Earth where we have figured out how to travel between multiverses. So there's our Earth, and then there are, you know, hundreds upon hundreds of other Earths where you exist in these other Earths and are living various and sundry lives that are quite different or maybe quite similar to the one that you have now. And we have figured out, well, a like uber genius tech Elon Musky kind of <laughs> goober figure has figured out how to travel between these multiverses. The twist is that you can't go to a world where you are still alive. So because, you know, space time rips in the continuum, everybody dies, that sort of thing. Um, so being a person who comes from a poor or super, super marginalized background on this, this earth becomes a bit valuable because it's very likely that in other earths, you've also experienced a lot of poverty and trauma and are probably dead. So you can get a job working for this multi-billion dollar company, which secures you citizenship in Wiley City, which is a walled off city where like, it's very Rome-ish, like all citizens of Rome co- are protected and have health care. And like, it's kind of like living in Scandinavia, but with more weapons. <laughs> so this is what she's doing. She's get, she gets a job traveling do, through the multiverses, collecting data or um, resources that we need back on Earth. And uh, in doing so, is trying to secure her citizenship so that she can, you know, won't have to go back to the wastelands where she's from, where it is, there's like really terrible effects of climate change. There's a lot of weird religious sex. There's a lot of poverty, S-E-C-T-S, to be clear. (laughs) There's a lot of poverty. Um, and she, you know, understandably does not want to go back there. Uh, she does occasionally go back to visit, but does, feels very out of place in both kind of both places now. And this is what she's doing until she gets an assignment to go to a particular world. She's told that her kind of doppelganger on that world was just recently killed. And then she gets there. The travel is awful. And as soon as she arrives, she realizes that the other person, her, the other version of her isn't actually dead. So that opens up a whole mystery of like, why was I sent here? What's going on? Who is this person? And she gets caught up in a lot of like political shenanigans and corporate espionage, while at the same time trying to navigate her home life, which involves being in love with her handler, who is like both flirts with her and is super hostile to her for reasons that she can't figure out. And then also dealing with her family and their relationship to the guy who rules the wastelands, who is kind of like a gang leader who she had a very abusive relationship with when she was a young adult. And this does come with trigger warnings for sexual assault and domestic violence. But it's super fast paced. It's got a lot of social commentary and very similar to like Ready Player One in that way. And a lot of like kind of techie, cool Um, near future stuff that isn't so far out into the future that you're like, not possible. Uh, It makes multiverse travel kind of like mundane almost (laughs) and believable and interesting. Um, And it it helps that that the the Elon Musky character is so musky. He just like exudes (laughs) muskiness. I just want to punch him the whole time. So that is The Space Between Worlds by Micaiah Johnson. I will co-sign all of that. All right. Our (laughs) next question is from M, who says, I'm looking for a book recommendation for my mom for Christmas. Throughout the pandemic, she and I have been swapping books quite a bit, and we've been bonding over our love of reading. She tends to lean towards thrillers, historical fiction, and some romance, although she's not a fan of sex on the page. Some favorite authors slash books of hers are Immortals, Kristen Hanna, Riley Sager, Taylor Jenkins Reid, The Midnight Midnight Library, The Outlander series, Little Paris Bookshop, and Where the Crawdads Sing. Some books she read and did not like were Red, White, and Royal Blue. Loved the plot, but found it too explicit. How dare. Normal people, too whiny. And Queen of the Night did not appreciate the lack of quotation marks. I'm dying over these. This is great. Uh, TLDR, I think she leans most towards sweeping historical fiction centered on characters who are a little bit sad slash wistful, are the teensiest bit philosophical, have beautiful prose, and she especially enjoys books that include a somewhat grumpy but charming older slash middle-aged man. That is extremely specific, M, and thank you for that. Uh, So this question is great. So I'm just going to keep going. I picked The Night Watchman by Louise Erdrich, which does come with uh, content warnings for violence against women and children and racism. But judging by some of the other books listed here, your mom's going to be just fine. And it does have a really charming, slightly grumpy middle-aged man in it. I think this is Erdrich's best book, to be completely honest. Well, I haven't read the sentence yet, so it's the best one I've read. 
And it is historical fiction. It takes place in the 50s. And you are mostly in North Dakota in this uh, rural reservation. And uh, Thomas, who is our slightly grumpy, very charming, older, middle-aged man, is a Chippewa Council member. He's also the night watchman, as you might guess from the title, at a jewelry plant factory thing. And he is, like, trying to do his job and also reading this new bill that's headed to the Congress. And it is basically, it's the termination bill, which... If you've been educated in the U.S., you may never have heard of it because our education is sincerely lacking. But this is a real bill that basically wanted to take away the rights of all Native Americans to their lands and identities. And so he is like trying to figure out what, you know, the council can actually do about this thing and then also care for the people that are, you know, in on the reservation and stay awake during his shift. And then we jump to Pixie, who is like a 20-something. She works at the factory. Her home life is very rough. Her father is an alcoholic and like is a disaster. Um, her older sister has moved to Minneapolis but has not been in touch, and they're starting to get worried about her. And you follow these two as they interact with their circumstances. And it's so good. Oh, my goodness. The writing is like perfect. The characters are amazing. The settings are so good. It's like really, it is just, it's so good. I don't know what else to tell you. It's so good. Your mom's going to love it. Like anybody who likes historical fiction, I think needs to pick this one up. It's so, so, so good. So again, that's The Night Watchman by Louise Erdrich. Yeah, I got kind of fixated on the grumpy, charming, yeah. middle-aged man. It's so specific. Thing. How do you not get fixated on it? It is. And like, relatable. Yes. I also enjoy a grumpy and charming middle-aged man protagonist. In fact, many of my recommendations today, I noticed, are grumpy <laughs> middle-aged men. <laughs> men. Um, so I picked The Dutch House by Anne Patchett, which is narrated by Tom Hanks, if your mom is into audiobooks, who I think is just the prototypical <laughs> grumpy but charming middle-aged man. Even his grumpiness is sweet somehow because he's, you know, America's dad. So The Dutch House is historical fiction-ish. It, it starts in the like, post-World War II era and then comes through to present day. And you get some back and forth in the timeline. So it's about a set of siblings named Danny and Maeve who were raised by their father, um, Cyril, who after World War II becomes very wealthy uh, via real estate uh, in Philadelphia and buys a big giant old house that was previously owned by like a, a Rockefeller or something. It's a big house. It's called the Dutch House, obviously, hence the title. And they grow up in this house with a lot of money, wanting for nothing, you know, that sort of thing. And then their mother leaves, like abandons them, runs off into the night, never to be seen or heard from again. And over the course of a few years, their father remarries and the stepmother does not, brings her own children, brings, I think, two girls into the marriage who are fine, but the, the stepmom and the two kids don't get along at all. Um, and then when Cyril, their father, dies of a heart attack, kind of suddenly when they are, I think, about college age or like later high school age, the mother turns out to have, or the stepmother turns out that she has rewritten or had the father's father rewrite his will so that the house is left to her and not the children. And the children really don't have anything. So they're sent off to like boarding school and then really off into adulthood to fend for themselves, kicked out of the home they, that they grew up in. Cyril goes to medical school and becomes a doctor, gets involved in his own quite unhappy marriage. And Maeve kind of has a bit of a failure to launch. She starts working as an accountant for uh, a like vegetable, frozen vegetable packing firm. And it has a kind of small, quiet life that she both resents and really enjoys in a weird way. A lot of the book is the two of them sitting in a car outside of the Dutch house, smoking cigarettes and talking about the past. And it, at, at times it's it's annoying, right? Like, move on. <laughs> it's, but, and I know that I understand. It's, it's an understandable feeling to have been kicked out of this life of luxury and, and beauty and ease and to have to go, like, make do for yourself. I understand why that would be hard. But also, you know, world's tiniest violin. You're a doctor. Like, you're fine. <laughs> Get over it. But... The Dutch house itself is really just a mechanism through which these two siblings deal with their relationship with each other and their relationship with their missing mother and then their own personal problems in their lives, like his marriage and her loneliness or kind of thwarted career plans. That the, the house is really just an excuse for them to get together and complain and like talk out their problems and help solve each other's problems. And they do that for 40 years. It's really just a sibling love story, which is very, very sweet. And so I think that 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 like, you know, gets you over the hump of the kind of rich people are sad parts, which are a bit obnoxious, but the rest of it is great. So that's The Dutch House by Anne Patchett. 
All right. Question three is from Lindsay, who says, for Christmas, I want to get books for everyone in my family. I've done it in the past. It went over well. The only thing I'm struggling with are my step-siblings. They're very religious, very conservative. We disagree about everything. We just don't talk about politics often in order to maintain peace in the family. Are there any books or authors I should keep an eye out for that will maybe appeal to their Christian sensibilities that I won't feel morally bad about purchasing? If you want to cater more to them personally, there are three of them, two boys and a girl. The oldest likes carpentry and coffee and is a new dad. The middle child is a member of the army and his most prized possession is his Jeep. The youngest is very athletic, does weightlifting, cheerleading, and volleyball. She also recently started college, so maybe something light and easy for her that won't feel like homework. Fiction or nonfiction is fine. I know you can't probably get to all three, but any help is appreciated. Okay, Jen, we split this up a little bit, so I'll let, yeah, so Jen, you go first. Yeah, I decided to pick a book for the coffee dude because... <laughs> the coffee dad. <laughs> a coffee dad. I also love coffee. Uh, and I thought of Caffeinated by Murray Carpenter, which is like a deep dive nonfiction look into caffeine, obviously, from the title. But it's interesting because... Carpenter is coming from a place of deep love for mm. coffee and caffeine. But also it's like, hey, this is an extremely addictive substance, which like I think we all know, but like don't like to think about. And like, what does that mean for us? And how did we get here? And like, why is this unregulated? But other things are, et cetera, et cetera. So it's very like facty, which feels to me anyway, like kind of neutral in terms of politics. Like this is just information. So mm. hopefully it does does not feel like any kind of liberal agenda to your um, step sibling, but <laughs> the like liberal it's, agenda, yeah. of coffee. <laughs> it's like I don't know. Like it's just true that like you know Coca Cola has like lobbyists and like that's interesting. I think it's interesting. I think it's very interesting. Mm -hmm. And it may be that he's the kind of person that doesn't want to think too hard about his hobbies, but like if he is the kind of person that likes to like explore and learn things, then I think that this book is super interesting. It's very accessible, and it's it's about both the good and the bad of caffeine. Which are like, you know, I continue to drink coffee and tea after having read this book. And like, that's fine. It's nice to know what you're doing. Again, that is Caffeinated by Marie Carpenter. Okay, so my pick would be great for your brother who is in the army. Um, it also might work for your sister. You said she's very athletic and into weightlifting. So I picked Can't Hurt Me. It's by David Goggins. He's an ultra marathoner. So he's run tons of really, really long, really painful races. And is really famous in that world. So, you know, I know you didn't really name any cardio stuff, but he's, you know, he's an ultra athlete. So I think it would appeal to, to an athlete no matter what their sport is. But the thing about David Goggins, I will tell you that this book is full of like pretty toxic masculinity. However, that's kind of par for the course for the army. Mm. So I don't think that it's going to, you know, it's hard to avoid when you're looking for something that's going to appeal to somebody who like is really into their military service as an identity. So David Goggins was a Navy SEAL and an Army Ranger and also an Air Force tactical air controller. And being all three of those things is super, super rare. He grew up in Indiana with uh, he's the son of like a very abusive father. And then um, his mother was single for a lot of his childhood after she left with him and his brother, like fled into the night. And so he grew up in Indiana, a son of a single mom for the most part in a super white neighborhood and he's black and experienced a lot of racism and had just a really troubling or troubled childhood and young adulthood. And then he like saw an ad <laughs> for the Navy SEALs when he was very out of shape and like couldn't barely get upstairs without having to stop and take a breath and was like, well, I got to do something. He was in a dead end job and a dead end marriage and it just felt like a lifeline. So he actually managed to like get in enough shape to pass whatever, you know, exams you have to pass, like physical tests you have to pass to get into the SEALs. And he went and he like successfully did Hell Week and all of that kind of stuff. And so it's very much about like, you know, grit and mental toughness and overcoming past troubles with like physical pain, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is, again, like appealing to somebody in the armed forces because that's a lot of the things that they're taught to do is to just like suffer through it, suffer through it, suffer through it. And he does so much of that. I will say some of it he does on purpose as like a way to test himself that I think is very, very foolish. He goes into a lot of his ultra marathons with zero prep oh, just geez. to see what will happen. What will happen is you end up in the hospital, right. which he does more than once. He like ran an ultra on two broken feet and he's doing this with with reason to him to me it sounds neurotic and unhealthy and i think that i'm right but 
I don't hear a lot of stories about people taking it as advice. Like nobody's going to, well, I hope nobody's going to read David Goggins and be like, you know what I need to do to be tougher? Run an ultra marathon with no, no training. I don't really hear of anybody doing that. So um, I would just maybe caveat it when you give it to him. Like this is very up his alley. Also, you can't, you can't stand in front of a Navy SEAL. (laughs) One of the, one of the very few, and he wasn't the first, but he was a very early, one of the very few black Navy SEALs and tell him racism isn't real. So no matter Mm. how, conservative or whatever your brother is i double dog dare him to like call david goggins and say that to his face he won't he won't because this is like a dude's dude right like if you want a manly dude who's going to be right up some conservative jeep loving guy's alley this is it so that's can't hurt me by david goggins (laughs) amanda's reviews for david look i quite liked it like 14,000 grains of salt, but he's yeah. funny and he's done a lot of really impressive things. And I will always read memoirs from the first people of color or mm-hmm. very early people of color to do anything. So I think you can feel good about buying it for that reason. And he also like secretly, not secretly, he talks about um, the first trans Navy SEAL as somebody he went through Hell Week with. Mm. He uses the correct pronouns. He talks about how impressive her service was. Like he's I don't think he would ever describe himself as a political liberal, but he's a compassionate, humane person, Mm. not to himself, but to everybody else. So nice. All right. Our next question is from Chrissy, who says, I'm helping to organize a Yule swap on Litzy, and I'm looking for seasonal recommendations that reflect Yule solstice and a more Wiccan or pagan type of theme. I would especially love a book that really embraces the traditions and is character driven. Uh, I guess this question was from a while ago because Chrissy continues. I know that seems far away, but I will post about yeah. your responses so that people participating have them on their radar. Whoops. Sorry, Chrissy. <laughs> We're doing it now. I saved it. <laughs> I saved it. You saved it. It's good. It's good. Uh, so this question is impossible. <laughs> I had such a hard time finding fiction that is set at one of these things that's like also like you could buy a book like there was a bunch of romance that's like witchy and yuli and solstice but they were only in digital and like if you are listening and you know of books like this please recommend them so i can a read them because i would like to and b recommend them the next time we get a question like this because i went back to a book i know i've used for questions like this before it's kushil's dart by jacqueline carey which is the chestnutiest of get book chestnuts But the reason I'm picking it for this is because it has a really great longest night tradition that's like baked Mm. into the story in a very like pivotal sort of scene. And I I, that's one of the standout scenes to me in this book when I think back on it. It's also like a million other things. It is an epic fantasy uh, inspired by like oldie time Europe and the world at large. And the main character, Fedra, is a, like, courtesan in this world. Sex workers are revered. Um, There's all kinds of structures around, like, training them and becoming one. But they also have indentured servitude, which is less great. So, like, you know, hashtag complicated. Uh, And she, as you are following her from her childhood through her adulthood, this is the first book in the series, and she is basically purchased by a nobleman who is also, like, a spy master. And he recognizes in her this deep talent, um, both that she has a quick mind, but also because of this mark in her eye, she has like been touched by the gods and has a talent for receiving and like finding pleasure in pain. So this is like a very hashtag sexy series, as you might <laughs> as you might be gathering. Um, so she gets trained in both the arts of like spying and also sex work. And this is about her adventures. There's political shenanigans. There's religious like gods involved in things all over the place. There's lots of travels and warring, you know, populations and betrayals and et cetera, et cetera. But there is a really beautiful sequence for the longest night, which is what they call the winter solstice. And I just love all the like pageantry that is described surrounding it. It's like a really cool, interesting scene to think about. Um, And definitely it made me want to have my own longest night party. Like not quite as... Uh, risque or elaborate (laughs) as the one in here (laughs) but there's some cool ideas um so this is this is what i have for you i don't know it's kushiel's dart by jacqueline carey i was just while you were i was just thinking about like why hasn't this book ever been adapted into a movie oh my gosh 
It doesn't make any sense to me that nobody has bought the rights to the series because, like, if you want another Game of Thrones that's, like, more feminist, yeah. it's right here. It's right here. It's been here for, like, decades at this point. Like, I don't understand how the rights to this have not been bought by Amazon or HBO. Like, I don't understand it. Or Netflix. It's so yeah. steamy and political. Yes. And, and like, magic-y and, like, it's sweeping. It's super gay. Yeah. It, I mean, it, I like, I don't understand. I truly do not understand. Huh, who do I petition? I know. All right. Anyway, <laughs> I picked Krampus, the Yule Lord, by Brahm, an artist and illustrator who is known and beloved to all Hot Topic kids, past, <laughs> present, and future. <laughs> um, so he has written like a modern West Virginia retelling of the Krampus versus Santa Claus kind of tale. Um, so in this book, it's like modern times in Boone County, West Virginia, and a guy named Jesse, who's like a poor, struggling songwriter, on Christmas Eve, witnesses in the clear night sky what looks like seven little demon guys chasing a dude in a red in a red suit toward, towards the sleigh that's being like pulled by some reindeer. Off into the sky they go, there's a bunch of screaming, and then a big sack comes down to the earth <laughs> and that he picks up and suddenly finds himself faced with the Yule Lord, Krampus. And Krampus tells him that, you know, millennia ago, many, many moons ago, the man who we know as Jolly Santa Claus pulled a terrible trick on Krampus and stole his magic and imprisoned him. And he is dead set on both vengeance and reclaiming his, like, time of year from Santa Claus, who is actually a big, a big, big, big bad ding dong, <laughs> like not a great guy. <laughs> and so it's like this battle between a very ancient kind of creepy, magical, demonish looking guy and like modern capitalist Christmas. So it's funny and weird. And again, very hot topicy. There's lots of, um, you know, it's Brahms. So there's lots of pretty things to look at for for a gift for like a gift swap or something like that. Um, in the book. And it's just like a kind of fun take on I the faces of somebody opening this at a gift at a gift swap, I think would be really worth like hashtag <laughs> worth it, you know, worth the price of entry just to see because it's like Krampus with his tongue out. Ugh, it's creepy. Okay, so that's Krampus by Brahm. And it is time for our next sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Disney books. Do y'all like Caribbean mythology? What's more, a thriller inspired by Caribbean mythology? If you do, I got something for you. A must-read thriller that draws from the darkest corners of Caribbean mythology from acclaimed author Sarah Das, who crafts a chilling tale of magic, murder, and how far we'll go to protect what's ours. It's perfect for fans of Angeline Bully and Tiffany D. Jackson. So, unlike other people on the small island of St. Virgil, Selena Da Silva does not believe in magic. She has a logical mind. She likes botany. She wants to study pharmacology. But then her mother gets sick and she's tethered to the island and she has to make money. So what does she do? She cons a couple gullible tourists with these useless talismans and phony protection rituals. But then one of the tourists ends up dead and at the center of a strange string of murders. And the truth Selena has been denying can no longer be avoided. There is evil lurking in the forest that surround St. Virgil. Now to find out what that evil is, make sure to pick up It Waits in the Forest by Sarah Das. And thanks again to Disney Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote. These, as I just mentioned, are King Solomon's last words to his son as he dies. Now, all four Solomon siblings must return to North Carolina to save the kingdom, their ancestral home, and 200 acres of land from a development company. Told in alternating viewpoints, Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris, is a searing portrait of the power of family and letting go of things that no longer serve you, exploring the burden of familial expectations, the detriment of miscommunication, and the lessons and legacies we pass on to our children. It's an explosive and emotional story of four siblings, each fighting their own personal battle, because who isn't, who return home in the wake of their father's death. Make sure to check out Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. 
All right. Question five is from Shelby, who says the security guard at my place of work loves James Patterson. Christmas is coming and my team and I thought it would be fun to buy a book for him. Any recommendations for books that are similar to James Patterson? All right, Jen, what you got? All right. I think I'm using up this book officially now, but (laughs) I just felt like it was so good for this. It's They All Fall Down by Rachel Housel Hall, which comes with so many content warnings. Everyone is the worst. (laughs) But that's like the delight of this book. So you're in the uh, point of view of Miriam, who is a divorced mother, and she is like, the police are trying to call her. She's ignoring their calls. She's trying to get in touch with her lawyer. You're like, what is going on? She also got a text from her teenage daughter that was like, I hate you. And so, you know, you, you under, but she's like, none of this is my fault and everybody else is wrong. And also I'm going to show them because I got this invite to be on this like secret new reality TV show. And I get to go to an island off the coast of Mexico and I'm going to win at least $10,000, but probably more like, you know, a million or whatever. And she's like, that'll show him. So she is basically like leaving everything at loose ends to go off to be on this reality show with six other strangers who she meets for the first time on the boat. And like, there's definitely like some weirdness going on. And then they get to the island. It is not a reality show. Everything goes haywire. And I just think that like it's actiony, it's suspenseful. There's a lot of unreliable narration going on. It's not like a direct corollary to James Patterson, but I think it's a page turner. And like my interactions with security guards who love books, there used to be one who would come in all the time to the bookstore and it was like so much fun to recommend books for him. I just feel like you want to get immersed. You want to turn the pages Mm -hmm. and you want to be like, oh my gosh, these characters. And all of those things are true of this book. It is extremely satisfying the way it all unfolds. And the whole time you're like, do I feel for Miriam? Do I not feel for Miriam? And then like you get your answers as things go along. It's very, it's very well done. So again, that is They All Fall Down by Rachel Housel Hall. All right. I picked Blacktop Wasteland by S.A. Cosby, which has a trigger warning for racism. It's also super violent. So, to you know, grain of salt there. I think that the thing that a lot of people like about James Patterson is that so many of his recurring characters are competence porn. Like they're <laughs> very, very good bad cops and you're bad detectives or like they're very, very good political operatives or whatever. So I picked a book where the main character is a very, very good criminal and his name is Bug Beauregard. He goes by Bug. He's a mechanic in North Carolina. Um, He's got a wife and a couple of kids and he's just trying to make ends meet. He lives in a small town and well, actually, he lives in Virginia now. He's from North Carolina. But he's got a very checkered past. He used to be known, like, up and down the East Coast as the best getaway driver you could ever want. But then, you know, his mom got sick. His dad died. Um, His mom is in a nursing home. She's got, I think, terminal cancer. And he's got kids to feed. So he gets out of the business, opens a, a mechanic shop, and decides to, like, go straight, you know? But his the financial pressures are mounting up. His mom, there's something like wrong with his mom's Medicare, so the the nursing home is threatening to kick her out if he doesn't cough up like thirty grand or some ridiculous amount of money. He's got kids to put through college. He's got an older daughter who's about to go away to school, and all you know he wants to provide for his family. And so he takes an offer that comes to him quite reluctantly to be the getaway driver for a diamond heist. It goes wrong. Almost immediately, just horribly, horribly wrong. He manages to get away, but the repercussions get him caught up in this much larger crime ring that he did not want to be involved in. His family gets involved, but he absolutely did not want. And it turns into a little bit of the Punisher. I mean, like his his kids aren't murdered or anything, but he does not take well to his small children being threatened. And he just goes on this vengeance spree that's mostly about him driving a really cool car really fast it's amazing (laughs) i did not breathe like i didn't take a full belly breath until i stopped finished that like until i finished the book i sat down i inhaled i finished the last page i exhaled like you will not so maybe don't give it to him at work because he's not gonna work he's just gonna be (laughs) reading the book um, which is true, don't give it to anyone right before they're about to go to work, but especially somebody upon whom you depend for safety. So that is Blacktop Wasteland by S.A. Cosby. All right. Our next question is from Heather, who says, over the pandemic, the women in my family started an online book club, and it's been such a nice way to catch up and continue to see each other. We all live across the country, so each other we see each other more now. The book club aspect of it has gone really well. 
we started a secret Santa book exchange, and I would love your help for my favorite aunt who loves Louise Penny. She prefers contemporary fiction, is not big on historical fiction, but noted that she tends to find she enjoys those when others pick them for her. She did adore Gentlemen in Moscow so much that she really looked forward to Amor Tolles' new novel, Lincoln Highway. She's not much for fantasy. However, we have started taking turns offering three choices to the group. Then the group picks one as that person's month's read. Her choices were The Midnight Library, Lincoln Highway, and The Authenticity Project. And last year, she gifted Harry's Trees because she loved it so much. All right, I will keep going. I picked a contemporary fiction, well, mostly contemporary fiction novel for you. There's like little touches of historical fiction in it. It's The Seed Keeper by Diane Wilson. This does come with content warnings for addiction, mental illness, uh, suicide, and mention of child abuse. But it's it's very readable, and it those are all like more mentions than actual a lot on the page. Rosalie, our main character, is a woman who has recently lost her husband. Um, He died. And she's now a widow. She's like alone on the farm and trying to figure out, you know, what happens next? Because really her whole life at this point has been about being a mother and a wife. But her son is like grown and out of the house now. And she just sort of doesn't know what to do with herself. And then you get to see her childhood. She grew up, you know, with a very unreliable father who was like telling her the history of their people, their Dakota. And then he just like didn't come home one day. And she's sent to live with a foster family, which like doesn't work out super well for her. And, you know, troubled upbringing and like trying to find connections to her past, which she doesn't have because, you know, she like didn't doesn't really remember her mother and she lost her father very young. So she has no connection to any of her like native family and those traditions. And there's it's just a beautiful look at like this woman's life and the context of that life. And like, yeah, what does it mean to like try to be your own person when you have not had a lot of foundation or like any sort of roots. And then you've spent, you know, your formative adult years being a wife and a mother. Like, then what? What do you do? Uh, And so and she's like very she's grieving. She's very depressed. Um, But the way that she finds her way through is really beautiful and I just love this portrait of like what it's like to live. Uh, It takes place in the Midwest and like it's so atmospheric. You really feel like you're there with her and the writing is great. The characters are great. Like I, I think she'll I think she'll really get into it. So again, that is The Seed Keeper by Diane Wilson. So your aunt seems to like reading about death. (laughs) (laughs) Like Louise Penny, The Midnight Library, Harry's Trees. These are all books where somebody dies. And then the people in some way or the other need to uh, deal with that. Either the characters themselves who were dead in the case of The Midnight Library or the people who are left behind. So I went with a contemporary novel that has similar themes. It's called The Invisible Husband of Frick Island by Colleen Oakley. And this is a more lighthearted, I would say, take on the concept, the concept of dying. Um, and it's about a woman named Piper who's a, who's young. She grew up on a Frick Island, obviously, which is a tiny town. It's an island in the middle of the Chesapeake Bay with a very small and insular population. If you've ever heard of Tangier Island in the Chesapeake off the coast of Virginia, it's very similar to that. Like it's, you know, 30 fishermen and their families. And that's pretty much it. So Piper grew up there her whole life. She married her childhood sweetheart, Tom. And when the book opens, he is missing. His boat, his crab boat, you know, hasn't isn't docked in the morning when she gets up like it usually is. And then it's found capsized and his body is never recovered. And so he's, you know, missing, presumed dead. And the rest of the town, they have a funeral and they try to move on. But Piper does not move on. She thinks she's hallucinating that he is still alive. And so she moves on through her days talking about Tom and what they had for dinner and like talking to Tom as if he is standing right there. And the rest of the town kind of doesn't know what to do about it. So they go along with it. Like they love Piper. Everybody is, of course, either related or close to each other. And so they just they don't want to upset her. And what are you going to do? So they just let her go. And that's what is happening. When the other main character named Anders shows up, he is a he's a journalist, young, very ambitious. It's not going well. <laughs> um, he has a job for a very like 
little small town newspaper. He's producing a podcast on the side that he's hoping will turn into like some kind of hard hitting investigative journalism thing, like serial, but hopefully with fewer killers. And he gets an assignment to go to Frick Island to cover their annual cakewalk fundraiser, which is exactly what it sounds like. And when he gets there, he discovers like kind of accidentally that what's happening like he meets Piper he's like super attracted to her she says that she's married and then he later overhears some other people talking about wasn't it sad when Tom Parrish died you know and then he puts two and two together and realizes that this whole town is maintaining this citywide delusion to support one woman and this is the thing he's gonna make his this is the story that's gonna break his podcast he's decided but, you know, small towns like that are, especially in the South, are very insulated. They're kind of hostile to people poking in their business. <laughs> and so he's got his work cut out for him. And so that's what that's that's what he does. He goes out and he tries to gingerly <laughs> figure out why everyone is going along with this woman's obvious mental health break from reality. And it's got a lot of hilarious small town grumpy like waterman side characters which i grew up on the chesapeake bay so a lot of these dudes are like very familiar as, as like archetypal beachside figures but it's great so that's the invisible husband of frick island by colleen oakley Alrighty, our last question is from alonzo who says i'm looking for recommendations for my twin nieces they're into the horror genre and laugh at scary movies they don't get easily scared with blood and murders they're 12 they previously read and liked Coraline, but I'd like to give them something scarier. I'd love it if you could find something with LGBT plus representation, but it's not a must. All right, Jen, what you got? All right. I had to get help with this one, and I apologize. I did not find LGBTQIA representation for you, but I did find what I think is a good one. Also, I'm going to leave a link to a post that is uh, a bunch of recommendations of horror books for middle schoolers, so you can have even more recommendations there. Um, but Sharifa, recently we were recording SFF Yeah, which is our sci-fi fantasy podcast, and we were doing our holiday picks over there, and Sharifa was recommending Tales from the Hinterlands by Melissa Albert, which sounds absolutely perfect for your nieces. And I checked with her and she said, yes, like I read her the question. And she was like, 100 percent. This is the book for them. <laughs> so it is a collection of 12 like dark fairy tales. It is actually it came out of Albert's other book, The Hazel Wood, which like mm. is about person who's like his mother like wrote the or grandmother wrote these stories and so the stories like are sort of a an underlying part of uh hazelwood but now here they are the whole book and they all take place in the hinterland where like dark strange terrible things happen so you know there's like people disappearing into the forest and they're trying to kill this enchantress but she won't die and like all of these things there's huge like beautiful illustrations there's like it's a two color printing there's you know it's a beautiful it's like literally a beautiful object so that's a nice thing to be able to gift and Sharifa said the stories are very in line tone-wise with the kind of horror that your nieces are into. And like if they're like laughing at this stuff, like they will they will not be traumatized. They will probably really enjoy it. Um, that was not at all my experience as a young reader for the record, <laughs> which is why I had to get help with this question. So again, that is Tales from the Hinterland by Melissa Albert. Oh, and you don't have to have read the Hazelwood to like enjoy this like they are perfectly fine standalones so i too have a child in my life who is super into horror and it is my oldest son Rhett, who is 10 i don't know where he got it because it wasn't for me and i'm like <laughs> on the struggle bus trying to find him something to read but i just gave him spirit hunters by O, and he is loving it so i think that this would be really good for your nieces so this is about a 12 year old girl named harper whose family has just moved to dc into this big old house and harper has so her sister kelly who is older blames harper for this move like their family had to uproot and move because there was a fire at harper's school and then there was a really bad accident at Briarley, which is the psychiatric hospital where Har harper was staying after the fire that left her with two broken arms and some broken ribs but harper herself doesn't remember any of this she doesn't remember the fire she doesn't remember being at the hospital she doesn't remember being hurt at the hospital so she i don't know you know like her her sister's blaming her for this move and she's like maybe i don't i have no recollection of any of this so they get into the new house it's super super hot it's the middle of the summer in you know dc 
and the air conditioning's broken. Except for her little brother Michael's room. Her little brother is four. The room is super, super cold. And Michael immediately says that he made a new friend in his room whose name is Billy that nobody else can see. So I'm sure you can see where this is going. <laughs> um, Harper's like, that's weird. And then Michael slowly starts to change into a like really mean, cold, violent little boy. And Harper retreats into her new friendship with a Jamaican girl from down the street named Dale who was like, when she hears about what Harper's growing through, was like, yeah, for sure, your house is haunted. It's like, everybody knows that. Uh, and Harper's like, cool, nobody told us. That's fun. <laughs> so they, Harper and Deo, start doing research on the house's history. They find out some really terrifying stuff. And then Harper gets connected with her estranged grandmother who lives nearby, who just like shows up suddenly. And her grandmother, it turns out, Grandma Lee, is a Korean mudang, which is like a shaman. Um, and she works in the spiritual world to protect people like humans in our world from evil from beyond and she is called by her you know intuition or whatever you want to call it to her family's home and it's this spiritual practice that has alienated her from harper's mother harper's mother is like this is not real you have got to stop spreading this kind of nonsense around my kids and of course grandma lee is like uh what do you know (laughs) i birthed you you know um and so they hadn't they've been estranged for a long time but it's really hard to ignore that something is wrong with michael and so Grandma immediately figures out what's going on. She sees what's going on with Michael, who's now like almost totally possessed. And she tells Harper, you are also a mudong. And that is the source of what happened to you at the school. And that is the source of what happened to you at the psychiatric hospital. And it is your job as the person who lives in this house to save your brother and like solve this haunting. So that's the, you know, setup. And then off she goes to kind of try to like figure out how to do that. It's super creepy it's so creepy like a little girl having her arms broken by a poltergeist is like exorcist level creepiness to me but meanwhile my 10 year old is like this is amazing how do i read fourteen thousand books about this i'm like i don't know what's wrong with you i don't don't let me ask ellen you know i'm gonna call ellen like do you have any more i don't know i'm just gonna actually go look at that post that jen's gonna put in the show right anyway i think this would be a great pick so that's spirit hunters by ellen o and that is our show our holiday show I'm humming Mariah Carey. Thank you so much to our audio editor, Jen Zink, and thank all of you for listening. You can find more recommendations at bookriot.com and find all of our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. Please go leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and thank you so much to our sponsors. You can find us on social media. Well, I'm not on social media right now, but if you want to go follow me to get nothing, it's I'm Amanda Nelson uh, on Instagram. Jen, where are you? I am on... Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL, J-E-N-N-I-R-L, and on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. If you want to get in touch with us, it's just easier to send us an email. Get booked yes. at bookride.com. True. Yeah. Please leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, uh, like I already said, but I was reading the agenda again, so I missed it. And we will be back not next week, but the week after for probably more holiday stuff. So talk to you then. Bye.